The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. And welcome, everybody, to Let's Talk Sports with Eric and Paul. <laughs> Where's Dan Spoon? I don't see Dan anywhere. <laughs> Thank you very much. But this is actually Tuesday Topics. Let's, oh, I'm let's sorry. Talk I'm in the wrong with place. <laughs> yeah, bye. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome everyone. And and as you probably already heard, um, uh, Mr. Eric Bridges is with us, and we truly do appreciate the fact that he is with us because he has been struggling over the last few days with uh, with the joys of COVID. Uh, so he has become our resident expert on COVID. We will we will um, we will expect him to diagnose in future everyone who comes along. And we also have with us uh, someone who I don't think I've met in person yet, Clark Ratchball. Welcome. Get <laughs> unmuted, maybe. Hello. You may Mr. have to Clark. make up, you have to make up answers for him if he doesn't unmute. Hi there, yeah, Paul. There and Paul, we have met in person, although it was a uh, convention. What seems like a pandemic ago in Rochester at the wee hours of the morning during resolution committee. We did. You're absolutely correct, sir. I, I take it all back. You are absolutely correct. We did. But welcome. We are so glad to have you two on tonight to talk about the year in ACB or the, or, or as I described it this morning, the state of the ACB, um, Tuesday topic for this evening, and uh, we are we are so glad to have you on. And we'll start off with the most pressing and important topic uh, with uh, with ACB uh, this evening, and that is what did we think of the Sunday night football game? <laughs> so, um, from my perspective as a lifelong Kansas City Chiefs fan, my very first memory of going to a football game was in uh, 1983 attending a preseason football game between the Chiefs and the Seahawks. And I don't even know. I think maybe the best player on the team at the time was Nick Lowry, their field goal kicker. But so um, I am an enormous fan of the Chiefs. That game was crazy. I watched the highlights yesterday morning. um, I've been sick since Friday. (laughs) And it tells you how sick I am when I was missing. I was fading in and out of quite possibly one of the most exciting games ever uh, fading in and out of consciousness, but uh, mm-hmm. yep. unreal. And Clark, did, did you watch the game on Sunday evening? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing that I keep coming back to is if you're in the AFC and you, you know, if Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, um, Oh, Herbert from the Chargers or Joe Burrow. And I, I'll even consider Lamar Jackson in this category. If they're not the quarterback on your team, um, it's going to it's gonna be a while before yes. you're going to be competitive <laughs> in the playoffs. Yep, I think that's right. I think that's right. So let's ask both of you, and then we really will get down to some serious stuff. Does, does the NFL need to change the rule with regard to, uh, to overtime? You want to take that, Clark? No. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly I have an evolving opinion on the matter. I think it's, you know, there are, as we saw from the, the Packers and 49ers game, there are three phases of the game and you need to be proficient 
um, in all three phases to be successful. But what we saw in that Bills Chiefs game were defenses that were run ragged and exhausted Mm -hmm. by the time Mm -hmm. they got to overtime. Yep. Uh, so it, it almost seemed like a foregone conclusion with the with the coin toss, mm-hmm. who who had the best best shot at at winning the game there. Eric, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I I had never particularly enjoyed the you know the uh, go down and kick a field goal to win and during the regular season. Um, right. So that part I I liked. Um, but frankly, once you get to the playoffs, it's your job to stop the other team. And at some point, you know, uh, time's going to run out. Um, I could understand from, you know, from the Bills perspective, why they, why they would have wanted to have a, sh- a crack at it. Cause it's likely there's a better than 50, 50 shot that they would have scored a touchdown and then they would have started from zero again, basically. Yep. Right. So, yep. and then when does it end? So you know, I like the fact that the Chiefs didn't go and just try and kick a field goal to win. They they took it right down, got it, got in the end zone, and boom, over. Yeah, um, but but uh, but neither of you have actually answered my question. So I, I'm I am taking it's the, the, the rule suited me fine Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm 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 taking it. You're not jumping up and down to have it changed. And and Clark, you've got an evolving opinion. What what in the long run do you think it's likely to be? In the in yeah, the I long run, this is I, I think they're bending toward a, a playoff scenario where each team's going to have at least Shot. one opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I've seen well, what this. Would that, what would that look like, though? Would it look more like Paul, like? Like the college playoff, where well, you've got yeah. the overtime, where you get it at the fifty, maybe or something. I mean, because you know, seventy-five yards can take a while. Yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think I would do that. I think I would, I think I would keep the same position, but then I, I would eliminate time by going to the college period deal, so that so that time doesn't become a factor. The only thing mm-hmm. that is a factor is whether you score or not, because I don't think time matters. If if you're if you're going to to play until you get a result, time doesn't matter. It's it's irrelevant, and I and I think it's a little more exciting if you essentially play periods where each each team gets a shot at it, and and that period's over. Um, I I think that's something that 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 the college system has that works, and um, and it's kind of exciting, and you can allocate timeouts so that they don't become an issue either. Um, right. Which, which seems to make sense to me. Um, but I, I, what, what struck me about the game on Sunday night is that it was different from any of the other games. And there have been others where this same kind of thing has happened. There've been lots of them, but in those other games, it seemed to me that teams made a lot of mistakes in this game. I don't think either team made very many mistakes. So there, it wasn't as though somebody was throwing away the, the likelihood of winning the game by the way that they played it. And, and I, and I think that's what made it sad for pure football fans who don't happen to be Kansas city chief fans. Um, by the way, Eric, I happen to be one of those as well. So. <laughs> So I should, in theory, be happy with with Sunday night, but I'm really not. So 
there we are. There is the purest vein in Paul Edwards coming through. Yes. Yeah. 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 So very good. Mr. Clark, any, any final thoughts before we move on to ACB? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at the, the combined quarterback stats there, uh, Allen and Mahomes combined had a completion percentage near 75%. Yeah, it was six touchdowns, no interceptions, over 600 yards. Uh, it, the biggest mistake of the game was uh, poor uh, uh, Montoya, uh, not Mont- uh, Montoya, um, the the chief safety who was kneed in the head by one of his own players. You know, friendly yep. fire there, very early in the game. So hopefully he's uh, better and able to participate this coming week. Yeah, I I, I think that's true, and 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 I guess there was one missed field goal. So yes, yes, by Buckirk. Yep, and uh, and a PAT as well. Yeah, yeah, yes, but by the same team. Yeah, yeah, very good. All right. Well, thank you for that, um, Eric. Eric is famous now. Now. Uh, now our our legislative director is is famous as a sports commentator. This is exciting. So, ACB Clark, what would what would you say is is the most exciting accomplishment for ACB in the last year? Oh, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's 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 hard to pick one. I will say, I'd say from from where I sit the most exciting thing that we've accomplished um, in the the nearly three years that I've been with ACB, but you really start to see it develop here over 2021 um, is that we are becoming recognized it, you know, in the blindness community, but also more globally as a leader you know, organizationally as leaders, as thinkers, as, um, you know, like policy creators and innovators in yep. the blindness and advocacy space. Yep. I think that's excellent. Eric, would you add to that? I, I wholeheartedly agree with Clark. And uh, what I will say is it takes talented people to, to, to get there, to work alongside our members and uh, one of the great things about last year is we got to welcome some some new members to the ACB team uh, to help uh, fill in some gaps that had not been professionalized before, like communications and some things dealing with our our, our ACB virtual community uh, and and other other spots. So you know, being able to to hire good people to come in work alongside uh, our, our steering committees and our committees um, so that we can do more for, for our members, but, but honestly, the, the broader blind community. Um, really, really happy that the board uh, approved those uh, additions to the team. So one of the big events of last year was the audio description gala, which sort of reinforced our preeminent position in audio description um what was the what was the rationale behind putting so much effort and resource behind that neither of you can start sure so i think the first rationale is we wanted to put together a fundraiser 
um, mm -hmm. ultimately, um, th this is a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. um, it, and it is, it, it, what we wanted to be able to do is center a fundraiser around something that ACB was known for, something mm -hmm. that um, could attract uh, a broader audience. And so, um, and by that, not excluding the blind community, obviously including our own members in the broader mm -hmm. community, but, but also having, having the interest level go out beyond our normal bubble into, into society, into the entertainment industry. And so uh, that's really how this sort of uh, came, to, came into being. You know, we, the, the audio description project and frankly audio description as a medium is something that we are recognized as leaders in advocating and working with uh, producers of it, working with uh, media, uh, various companies um, to ensure that it, it is provided. And so uh, we embarked upon this uh, early last year conceptually mm -hmm. and uh, wanted to, one, raise money for the organization so that we could do more. Uh, but then also raise awareness of audio description and its importance to our community, but do it with an audience that may not have been as familiar with it, which is large swaths of the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. Clark, have you seen any results of that, uh, of that audio description gala in, in your legislative interactions? Well, I think the... As some of the things I'd like to point out about the audio description, Gail, is um, you notice there were no there were no political speakers at yes. the gala. There was no legislative or regulatory ask at the gala. Right. The gala yes. was more a celebration of what we've accomplished. Um, and with many of the awards, the awards focused on you know uh, what Procter and Gamble has done with audio describing their commercials. What Charter Spectrum is doing with the Spectrum Access app and what several uh, companies at Apple TV Plus, Netflix, and others are doing in the streaming space. None of that is covered by the CVA. Legislation. Yep. No, yeah, you're right. Or you know, uh, legislation or regulation. So this was really like a, a victory lap of what our advocacy, what our members and ACB's efforts and you know, collaboration with industry have brought forward. Um, that doesn't mean that it's totally you know, part and parcel of our you know, legislative and regulatory efforts, um, but it, I think it helps drive awareness to many different parts of the entertainment industry that might not have a footprint here in Washington or, or certainly different parts of companies that are present here in Washington and that aren't thinking about legislative or regulatory requirements. Um, now, that said, our, our advocacy work in that regard will certainly continue. And I think it helped build goodwill with a lot of the, the corporate partners and the entities who participated, helped promote it, um, and certainly provided uh, either support or excellent feedback for the event. Um, so it, I wouldn't say that it, I've noticed direct results for our legislative advocacy, um, but I think the, like Eric was saying, the awareness that it promoted um, and the engagement that it promoted will be helpful for legislative efforts in the future.
another project, um, and, and, and I'm going to uh, uh, again s- start with you, Mr. Rockfell, but another, another project that, that was um, inaugurated last year was the uh, Get Up, Get Moving kind of initiative. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about where that came from and what your expectations are for it. Sure. So the ACB's Get Up and Get Moving campaign, this is something that is uh, no stranger to our members either, right? It, it's my understanding that ACB had a, a health issues task force in the, the early 2000s. We um, did. Many of our folks know the, uh, the difficulties with uh, finding accessible either exercise and fitness equipment or classes, information, and certainly carry that forward into the the health sector. Paul, you're aware we had, I believe it was four resolutions related to accessible health care just this year. Only um, four. Only yeah. four. <laughs> so really what the Get Up and Get Moving campaign is an opportunity to um, create more awareness, um, more public awareness, more social engagement, um, and advocacy and fundraising around this this whole bucket of issues, right? Um, that as we are all impacted by the pandemic, some of the things that we've heard the most about are information access and tra- transportation access. And uh, I try to distill it down to those two because you can squeeze a lot of a lot into those two buckets. Um, but certainly when it comes to health and wellness and fitness and exercise, if you can't get to the doctor's office or the gym, or if you can't access your health information um, or accessible equipment, then it's, it, it poses artificial barriers that don't need to be there for our community. And certainly with the pandemic, as folks were socially isolated, not just socially distant, um, it's, it's been a real challenge for a lot of people. So in addition to the policy avenues and advocacy work that Connie Sims is leading as that subcommittee chair, Tom Tobin is the chair of the full Get Up and Get Moving campaign. He's also Mm -hmm. the president of ACB Diabetics in Action, working closely with Tony Stevens, uh, Leslie Spoon, and others to drive member engagement on these issues. You know, we we want Pope people to come out of this pandemic and be able to take control of their health uh, and be able to share their stories and move policies forward that make uh, accessible health and wellness generally. But, you know, we want folks to have the tools they need to manage independently their health conditions. And we also want them to have independent access to the tools that, you know, they don't acquire chronic or comorbid conditions solely as a right uh, as a result of their visual impairment as well. We've already made some progress with regard to exercise equipment accessibility. Yes. You know, we have made some progress. Um, We made some progress beginning in uh, 2020. Um, It was basically right in, in line with our first virtual convention um, that Peloton interactive announced the the accessibility improvements they made to their bike and bike plus by adding the Google Talkback screen reader so that folks could independently access the, the classes available on the bike and receive um, information regarding their workouts. And just this last year, we had a joint announcement with a, 
a gym provider, Planet Fitness, with more than 2,000 locations. Um, and they pledged their commitment to purchase accessible exercise and fitness equipment and install them at their, at their locations. And we anticipate having more announcements like that going forward. I think the important thing is that, A, it's been proven that accessibility can be added to exercise and fitness equipment. Um, so that eliminates a, you know, an unreasonable aspect of the arguments mm-hmm. that you sometimes hear from industries. But then we also have facility providers, um, you know, the, the large bulk purchasers of equipment saying that this is a priority for them and they want to purchase accessible equipment as well. Mm-hmm. Eric, you want to add anything to that before I ask my, my next question, which is going to have to do with, um, with Title II accommodations and what, and what we perhaps can be doing about that? Sure. Well, I, this is a multi-year campaign, and uh, it's our intent and has been our intent <laughs> to hold uh, in-person outdoor you know, events, you know, uh, walks in, in yep. major cities that unfortunately um, has had to be uh, rescheduled and rejiggered. And it's, it's, our, it's our intent that that will happen again this year. But, you know, uh, why, not, why not get together and have a nice walk outside um, yeah. to, to help uh, celebrate this, this uh, campaign? To, to bring awareness to the, the needs of our community to, to be able to get up, get out, get moving, mm-hmm. or frankly, just, just get up and get on a piece of exercise equipment in your mm-hmm. home and, mm-hmm. and, and get a good sweat for 10, 15 minutes. Right. So, nice. um, you know, this is, this is not a, a one year and over with thing. This is a, a multi-year campaign that um, has taken a little bit longer for us to, get sort of moving uh, due to the pandemic. Sure. Not easy. And, and several corporate partners have joined us as health heroes in this campaign, Eric. That, that's correct. Uh, Vanda Pharmaceuticals has joined as a health hero for this year, as well as <clears throat> uh, Walmart. And you'll be seeing an announcement coming out here shortly about them as a, as a health hero. They, we're proud to join with us on uh, White Cane uh, Safety Day to observe it. Um, that was supposed to be uh, an in-person walk in, in New York City, which um, unfortunately, uh, the last minute we had to, to cancel back in October. So, um, you know, there, as well as uh, APH, that's the third hero. And we're expecting to add a couple more health heroes this year, corporate partners that um, work in this, you know, health exercise, fitness space, um, to, to help lend a voice to, you know, the needs of our community, uh, in a multitude of ways. So title two of the ADA speaks to the, the need for state and local government, uh, to make their, uh, activities accessible to folks with disabilities. And I, I wonder if ACB at the moment is, is doing any work to see whether um, there is a space within the the get up, get out, get moving campaign um, for moving the the title to ADA process forward. And Paul, is that are you asking specifically toward fitness and exercise equipment, or more broadly? 
Well, I, I think more broadly, people know what what Title II is supposed to do. I, I, I think I think people have uh, have reached a point where where maybe we need more training in ADA because I'm not sure that a lot of people are are demanding the the access that the law entitles them to under Title II at the moment. But but that's that's an individual opinion. It doesn't have anything to do with ACB. So let me be quick to say that. But 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 I was thinking of exercise equipment in particular because it's a it's an it's an area that we in in Florida have certainly considered um, looking at because uh, because of the fact that we perceive it. I mean there there are there are a lot of county facilities that put in exercise equipment, mm-hmm. um, and and I'm not sure I'm not sure that any of them are are making any effort. Um, to assure that it's accessible. And that's, I think you highlighted a, a great point here, Paul, and it, it kind of falls into the shades of gray of the ADA, right? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. no, no one argues that those facilities that you mentioned have to be physically accessible, right? Ramps, elevators, right. Um, you know, wide doorways, zero entry showers, th- yeah. things of that nature. Um, but traditionally, those facilities have you know, provided an auxiliary service for individuals to access the equipment. You know, having someone from mm-hmm. the facility assist you either navigate the facility or start and stop the equipment. Right. Um, but, and uh, an area that I guess the, the guidance is unclear is what even does accessible equipment, what, you know, what would quote unquote, make a piece of equipment accessible. Right. Um, so this falls under one of ACB's legislative imperatives that was introduced by Senator Duckworth from Illinois, the exercise and fitness for all act, um, which would have the, the federal government, the U S access board and, uh, department of justice create, um, you know, accessibility guidelines and standards for accessible equipment. Um, and there are some uh, international standards for accessible equipment. Um, but, you know, they are, they are industry engineering standards from ASTM for audible output and tactile user interfaces from 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, but they haven't been adopted by, you know, the federal government. Um, so I think what we're seeing is a, a growing body of work pointing to the fact that um, you know international standards exist, the technical feasibility and capability is there and being implemented by industry. Um, so I, I think a, a next step would be you know, passing the Exercise and Fitness for All Act, having the federal government create those those guidelines and standards so that they can be enforceable, just like the, the physical access to the premises. That's, I think that's a pretty decent roadmap forward. Mr. Eric, other, other uh, exciting things that happened last year? Well, how about this very medium that we're, we're uh, streaming on this evening? Mm-hmm. We did a lot of work in reimagining uh, ACB radio and, and what it, what it, what it was, what it is, and what it, what it can be. Uh, we've, uh, heck, Rick Morin and, and Larry Gassman, who are helping us out this evening, 
have been a, a part of uh, a lot of the evolution of ACB radio down through the years. In fact, you, I believe you even started ACB radio as president, <laughs> I, did you not? I, I did. <laughs> yeah. One of so, my prouder accomplishments. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, 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 it's remarkable how, how, you know, ahead of the game, this organization was and putting together, you know, another means for folks around the world to, to access uh, our content. And, and last year, we really took a good hard look at ACB Radio, acbradio.org, uh, the, the content that we had, uh, the streams that we were utilizing, and, you know, gave, gave everything, a, a, I think, a, a well-deserved facelift. And uh, before the convention started last, last uh, July, we unveiled acbmedia.org, uh, which obviously encompassed the the streams that that folks had come to know and and listen to down through the years. Uh, you know, we we re- refreshed uh, <clears throat> the, the the channels, some of the content, uh, went out and got uh, licensing uh, agreement. Um, utilizing Live 365, um, did a bunch of things, and and all of that helped us. Uh, the previous year in 2020, we we stood up Pinecast as a as a a place to house all the wonderful podcasts that we began to to generate. Um, obviously through through the streams, but also through this wonderful thing that exploded called the ACB virtual community. And so, you know, uh, acbmedia.org is your place to, to listen to was it, ACB1 through ACB10. Um, and also a place where you can, you can locate stuff like our blog and, and to be kind of a, an umbrella for things that are ACB media and not just what we've thought of as our radio streams, um, things that are our different communications channels. Um, mm-hmm. In large, large part, thanks to Jeff Bishop uh, to to really work on creating that website. And and Clark, we used uh, ACB Media pretty substantially for the last uh, leadership seminar, and I guess we're going to probably end up doing it again. How successful was that process of, of, in effect, making Hill Visits virtual? Oh, I w- Paul, I think you've got some, uh, some great experts on, on that topic just within the Florida Council, whether it's uh, uh, Debbie Grubb, Sheila Young, or, or The Spoons. I think, yeah. a lot of, I think a lot of folks found value in the, the virtual Hill Mint. Uh, visits is certainly mm-hmm. uh, making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, um, what the virtual visits provided for our members was more flexibility in terms of timing when the meetings could take place. They didn't all have to take place on one day before everyone flew home. Mm-hmm. Also, flexibility in who is able to attend the meetings. Not only folks that 
are able to attend the leadership conference in person, but other folks from the affiliates or from you know around the state, uh, yep. p- potentially even from the congressional district, were able to participate. And then the the last item, third that I'd add is that several of our affiliates and members use the opportunity, um, use the video capabilities of Zoom to demonstrate low vision devices, to demonstrate assistive technology or the accessibility barriers that they face uh, with something like a treadmill. Uh, So there were the added flexibility, the ingenuity of our members, um, as well as the ability to, you know, to have a more illustrative meeting. Um, Some other things I heard is that folks actually got the full, you know, the full 30 minutes because you didn't have to navigate the halls and no one was running from meeting to meeting. Um, so you cut down on that that transfer time. So you actually got to have a more in-depth conversation with folks as well. What kind of feedback did you get from the Hill as to how they felt about this approach? From the Hill, it, I think it was also beneficial. You know, in some cases, you had it, it kind of cuts both ways, right? Um, so in some cases, you had members who were more apt to attend the meetings um, when they were virtual with constituents. I, I think yep. the, the Hill's relationship with um, conferencing and video conferencing has kind of evolved throughout the pandemic, just like all of us. You know, some staffers are uh, you know, working from home and less likely to have their cameras on uh, in meetings. However, I think with uh, with constituents, I think folks will be more engaged than they will on a, a regularly occurring, uh, you know, meeting with the the Beltway or DC crowd. Yep, excellent. Uh, and 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 uh, having to do it again does not concern you any, Clark? No, no. I, I think our our affiliates and our members showed great initiative and flexibility in how they, uh, how they embraced the situation last year. Um, I think we'll be able to provide them you know, good tools and resources and training leading up to the, the leadership conference. Um, I like everyone else. I, I wish we were there in person. I wish that we were being able, that we were able to build these uh, personal relationships with members and with staff Um and I think there's an element of that that is lost when doing yes. everything virtually, yeah. or the personal connection. Um, but I think we'll we'll make the best of it. Mm-hmm. I think you will too, um, Eric. You want to add anything about um, what's going on with the president's meeting and um, and and any highlights that that you know about of those at this point? Well, it, what I will say is the uh, the agendas are being developed. You should see them here within what, Clark? The next two, three weeks or so. Um, yep. Probably uh, two, three weeks. Um, there are still a number of things that are sort of up in the air since we uh, made this, 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 since the board made the, the decision. And so... Um, much of it is just getting folks nailed down. Are they going to be, uh, you know, are they going to have presentations pre-recorded? Are they going to be 
live. Um, there's a number of folks that I know the clerk has uh, invites out to with the government, and uh, those things uh, always have to go through an approval chain. So, uh-huh. um, you know, there's obviously be looking for some stuff dealing with obviously the the community <clears throat> um, things dealing with you know, uh, the affiliates and, um, uh, you know, being, uh, being mindful of, of affiliates, um, as leaders, their, their, uh, fiduciary responsibilities, as well as, you know, just things with keeping, uh, keeping the IRS off your back and, and other useful, um, very useful topics. And we've got our eye on a couple of, uh, potential interesting, uh, uh, keynote speakers for the president's meeting as well, but they're not nice. confirmed yet. Nice, nice. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, we will we will hopefully hear more about what our legislative <clears throat> imperatives are down the road as well. Um, I I know you both know that Tuesday Topics has agreed to be part of a a training component um, that will precede the um, the the leadership conference and in fact it's now scheduled for february the 8th the initial training program that tuesday topics will be doing so we're we're looking forward to that and looking forward to have it have it happen and um to to be part of uh training folks in in uh, uh, improving their ability to handle interaction with folks like legislators. So we think that's going to be a fun Tuesday topics and we'll encourage folks to look forward to that as time goes on. Um, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of last year, uh, Clark, any, any, any other thoughts of, about last year before we talk about this year? Oh, absolutely. So last year we talked about the, uh, the audio description awards gala. Um, mm-hmm. Last year was also the year that ACB uh, reached an agreement with HBO Max to bring audio description to their platform. Um, that is going to to culminate in more than six thousand hours of audio description um, by either by 2023 or 2024 over the, you know, the three years of that agreement, as well as audio description for original programming going forward. Um, we also had a, I wouldn't say an agreement, but we worked with AT&T and Time Warner um, to increase the availability of audio description, not only for the TBS network, which is required to carry audio description, uh, but TNT and True TV as well. So there's there's a bunch of work being done in that space. Um, we also had an agree, uh, not an agreement, an announcement over the the multi years of work being done with CVS pharmacies to roll out uh, accessible prescriptions, the Spoken RX solution to all CVS locations, including those within uh, targets um, nationwide. So that was an exciting uh, announcement back in the, in the fall here. Um, also an announcement with Discord. Um, I'm not sure if many folks are familiar with Discord, but it is a, an online messaging app or service 
Um, but Discord is often a, a third party solution that video game companies, other uh, companies and entities will embed into their products and services. So ensuring that Discord is accessible um, not only increases its availability as a standalone product, but enhances the accessible communications aspects of uh, many other platforms and services as well. Um, those are those are some of our you know more legal and regulatory um, I'd say victories back in 2021. But no stranger to Florida as as well, Paul voting. Uh, voting oh. didn't have the the year that many folks wanted, you know, at the the congressional level, the federal level. Uh, but ACB and our affiliates were still very active on the state level, and we we've seen great gains in uh, accessible remote voting uh, to include electronic ballot delivery. Um, and completion, and in, in some cases, electronic ballot return, um, based off of a, a landmark court decision involving the, the North Carolina Council of the Blind, um, availing the uniform military and overseas voting system to people, uh, the people who are blind, people with print disabilities in North Carolina, um, but also the folks in the ACB of North Dakota helped pass legislation allowing for electronic ballot return. Um, other states like Colorado, uh, Utah, Nevada, or Nevada, I, I'm always going to get that wrong, um, <laughs> Hawaii. You know, I think there are nine states now that allow people with disabilities to uh, remotely and accessibly uh, receive, complete, and return their voted ballots and that's really that's really exciting progress that was made over the past year yeah i think um i you know certainly in florida we've 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 taken some huge steps backwards since the 2020 election i think we'll just have to see how that works itself out but we're fcb is continuing to work on on that area but um it it um it's interesting do you see the 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 negative legislation that's being passed in a number of states um, impacting accessible voting? You know, it's, um, that's an interesting question. I I think there are aspects of these state bills that can impact people with disabilities. The one that I'm most familiar with though is in, is in West Virginia and in reviewing the legislation that, that many tout, touted as being a, a you know, a, uh, that it would suppress the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very surprised reading through the legislation that, in a, with the the things that it did do, the one thing it did not do was roll back access for people with disabilities to right. the electronic absentee right. voting system, and in, in fact, some ways it expanded access to include. Uh, first responders and those in hospitals um, and, and, you know, folks who are in the guard and deployed domestically. Um, So I I think the devil's always in the details and we need to, Mm -hmm. and fortunately our affiliates 
are great at being able to look at the legislation in, in each of their states and assess um, whether it is you know, helpful or harmful to their members. Right. So, Eric, the pandemic has been a part of our, our lives, whether we like it or not, for the past couple of years. Um, talk to me a, a little about how you think the pandemic has, A, affected ACB, but perhaps more importantly, has affected blind people. <clears throat> sure. Aren't we one and the same? <laughs> well, um, I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, <clears throat> I think that, that the pandemic has forced, uh, forced our, uh, number one, ACB, the, uh, the staff, um, to be more conversant with the technology that we had invested in uh, prior to the pandemic. Uh, stuff like Office 365, Ring Central, which is our, our VOIP provider, mm-hmm. um, Zoom, uh, oh my God, Zoom, 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 and more <laughs> Zoom. Uh, and, you know, and other, other technologies that, that, that we had that we really were not taking, I would say maybe full advantage of. Um, and, and consequently through the development of the, of the ACB community, um, by the way, that community wouldn't have, wouldn't have ever really operated, uh, through free conference call. It just wouldn't have, um, with, if you recall the first week, uh, or even two or three weeks of the pandemic, those 800 lines essentially got crushed and uh, the sound quality was horrible. You'd get routinely kicked off. And so we, we as a, as a team had to convert to, to zoom, learn how to use it better. We had been using it some, but as, as we, as Cindy and I and Dan were talking about how we, how we check in on folks and how we, how we, you know, um, set up times for people to get together that 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 structure was not going to be sustainable and so uh zoom learning how to use zoom uh and then teaching others how to use zoom not just how to attend but how to how to facilitate how to host how to manage the back end of zoom um was really quite critical to the to the success uh, the, the, to the successful growth of, of the community, it serves as its spine, um, as the technological spine to the ACB virtual community. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of credit goes to Cindy for, for seeing the, the possibilities and for structuring it in a way to be able to train folks, but th- she's got a lot of help and a lot of volunteers out there within ACB that, that jumped in that, uh, already had good training. They were able to train others, setting up uh, structure and procedures for doing all of that uh, to, to, to run on a parallel track with the folks that were just wanting to have contact and figuring out organic topics to bring to a community call as we were sort of building this, this plane as it was, as it was in the air flying. Um, you know, those are, those are so some not so small things. And then you extend that out 
uh, from Zoom to ACB Radio and acbradio.org and our ability to, to, to stream uh, the challenges that we had in streaming some live events, uh, getting folks coached up on that, uh, <clears throat> you know, and then ultimately, you know, understanding that we needed, we needed to, to do things, not, not rip the core of ACB radio out, but to replace um, some, some legacy pieces of it that, that had really been needing to, to have some TLC for quite some time. And so you see acbmedia.org pop up, which we've already talked about. But, you know, uh, a lot of these things, um, I don't know if how much we would be doing them today, even, Paul, if there hadn't been uh, an external pressure forcing us to, right. to change the way we were doing uh, the business of the organization. So a positive impact of COVID then. But if we look at, at, just to take an example, the two AFP reports that have been that have been published with regard to the impact of COVID, um, first on the education of blind kids, and then secondly on the broader blind community, are there things that came out of those reports that point to some directions that ACB may need to take um, in 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 order to improve our ability to deal with emergency? management in the future sure clark do you want to take that sure and and just in general paul i i don't think anything that has been highlighted by covid is is new to acb and our members right no it is not covid's just become that crucible um that has made every access gap more profound um whether it's remote and distance learning um, and using, uh, you know, electronic education platforms of which Eric can speak to just as well as anyone. Um, Try having it, two blind parents of a sighted kid. Exactly. Yeah. having to no. work remotely on his schoolwork, right? Yeah. Not easy. Yeah. No, you know, he's homeschooled but, now. Yeah, oh, or, my. Yep. Yeah. So whether it's the education space and employment, um, where we're fortunate that there are more accessible tools out there than there have been previously, um, but there there are still gaps. And I I think that the disability rights advocates and um, the San Francisco Lighthouse, the agreement that they just reached with a a very large HR and payroll provider, um, ADP. helps highlight the the work that still needs to be done to ensure that everyone has access to you know the same tools resources and and equal and equitable access to those tools resources and information um so i'd I'd say that that there really hasn't been anything new but that folks are more acutely aware um even outside the blindness community and then the last point i'd add um, over the past year, the the federal government, the Department of, of Justice, um, as well as the, the Office of Civil Rights in various departments like the Health and Human Services or Department of Transportation or Education, they are more likely to, to be responsive to complaints and take action, um, enforcement action 
to increase accessibility as well. Some of the areas where where Tuesday topics and we've done forums on this topic have heard that there is some particular disadvantage include uh, transportation and in-person uh, grocery shopping and, um, and and assistance in general being provided by both uh, healthcare folks and um, and folks in stores. And, and 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 I wonder I wonder if that mirrors what you guys have heard. Are you are you referring to the pandemic specifically? Because I, we've heard about these challenges for years. Yeah, um, uh, we we have, but I think they were at least the perception is they were exacerbated by the pandemic. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, um, having um, having to go to a grocery store. Um, is not one of my favorite things, even pre-pandemic. <laughs> right, <laughs> because you're you're rolling the dice with who you're going to get to help you. Yes, and how you long are. You're going to have to wait. Um, their level of understanding and, and, of the and, store, right? Know. And the dice are stacked against you in general because you're generally not going to get the top seller in the store. <laughs> no, no, you're going to get yeah. the person that was just showed up 12 minutes ago and is now bagging groceries that is uh, may, may be very um, uh-huh. ambitious and wanting to help, but really hey, uh-huh. doesn't know where anything is. And God uh-huh. forbid you put Caro syrup on your, on your grocery list and good night, Irene, you know, uh-huh. good luck. <laughs> but uh, sure. I mean, that's always, that's always been real and, 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 and and uh, you know, I guess the question is, what should we do about that? But what folks are saying is that is that um, there there were a, a lot of stores who were essentially saying, because of the pandemic, we don't want to help you. Wow. Um, yeah. I, okay. I think that's that's certainly what we've heard and you know, what we've experienced as well, right? That the the stores and store staff due to a communicable disease don't want to be uh, close or taking mm-hmm. people you know sighted guide um i think there's there's room for for advocacy on behalf of our, our members and affiliates in, in those regards um certainly there's been guidance from the the cdc and and others related to civil rights and disability rights, uh, not always immediately, um, but related to standards of care during, uh, during the pandemic. Um, you know, there, there was even uh, efforts needed to be done initially just to get information about the pandemic in an accessible format. Um, so, yeah, sure. I think this is something that we've all we've all been encountering and we've all been trying to, to educate and advocate for. Um, and Paul, the, the point that you brought up about uh, healthcare providers, I mean, that made its way into a, a resolution this year that'll be yeah. worked on by the, the get up and get moving campaign. Yeah. There, there, uh, my experience and, and, and it's, it's been, it's been odd. My experience over the past year where where I've had far more contact with, with healthcare stuff than I've ever wanted to in the past has been that there really has been a revolution. I mean, in the past, you know, you'd call, you'd make an appointment. 
with with a doctor. You'd go to the appointment. If they had a few questions about what had changed, they'd ask you, and everything was cool. But now everything has been automated, and you're expected not only to confirm your appointment, but then during the check-in process to do a whole bunch of things, which which are often not accessible, including. Um, including answering a bunch of questions and paying any co-payments you may have for the, for the visit uh, and so on. Um, but I've got to tell you that, uh, that there are elements of that that I simply was, and it may be my incompetence, who knows, but that I am certainly not able to do on my own. And I'm very fortunate that I have a daughter up here who, who can do some of that stuff for me. But um, I'm wondering if the, the whole healthcare interface is becoming um, more inaccessible to blind people and if that's something that we really need to work on. I think the whole healthcare interface is being disrupted yeah. um, due to technology and mm-hmm. And accessibility is not always front of mind as part of those conversations. Um, That is certainly something that we are aware of and that we hear from our members, uh, whether it is uh, inaccessible check-in kiosks at health labs or healthcare facilities. Uh, Just just within the past week, there was a thread on the ACB leadership list about the mm-hmm. accessibility of my chart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that, that I find informative and instructive because not everyone's experience is the same. So is it the underlying architecture of the my chart app, or is it what the individual uh, licensees are doing to, to modify it? Um, the, all of those things, the various layers of the onion and, in and, terms and of successful technology need to be addressed. Right. And realistically, it also could be, uh, as, as I'm suggesting, at least part of it may be in my case, it may be the incompetence of the blind operator as well. So it, it is hard to know, but I, but I guess, I guess that I, I am becoming more and more frightened. I mean, it would be harder for me to do what I had done for the last 30 years, which is to live on my own far away from a lot of the the contacts that I had. It would be much harder for me to do that now than it was Mm -hmm. before the pandemic. Or or at least that's my perception. And imagine if you were in a, a rural environment as well. Right. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I lived in a, I, I lived in a city where there was paratransit and, and reasonably reliable paratransit and, and uh, you know, a number of other advantages, but uh, I, I, I don't think it had worked for me now. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, so final thoughts on, on last year first, Eric. It was, uh, it was in a lot of ways, a, a pretty transformative year. Uh, mm-hmm. inside the organization, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of new faces, uh, the launch of two, mm-hmm. two new, um, campaigns, the, mm-hmm. the AD awards gala, uh, which, you know, is going to happen again this year and it'll be an annual event moving forward. So that wasn't a one and done, uh, the get up and get moving campaign, which is another, um, 
you know, uh, another year of, of uh, our virtual it's a, convention. It's a three-year campaign to, to get up and get moving. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. Three years. So we're entering into year two now. And, you know, we're one of the things that, that I'll be honest with you, I mean, I'll always be honest, but one of the, the challenges that we have is that of capacity, right? The ambition versus the amount of people to do the work. Um, and so this year, um, you know, we've got, we've got get up and get moving. We've got the gala. We've got the other, the other events, um, that, that we've had before. And really a lot of that is, is continuing to, to, to refine and, and roll out, um, a lot of that stuff that, that you, and others uh, participated in last year. And, and, you know, I'll just say we, by the end of the year, we had like 6,500 events held within the community from March, the week of March 16th of 2020. Uh, And we had over 125,000 people reached. Um, So the, you know, the, the community is now a part of the organization um, and, you know, for those that get the daily schedule that, you know, you see it every morning in your inbox, um, but it's, uh, the growth that, that we continued to experience last year with the amount of events, I think we averaged somewhere near 88 to 90 events a week last year, which is pretty tremendous. Oh, it um, is. You know, uh, and, you know, who knows how that will evolve into the into the coming year well, you know it's one of those things where you need to need to listen to the to the customer and and adapt as necessary but you know it was it was a good year um five new employees um that are that you know are are, are fitting in well as with our team but also working alongside our 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 committees and steering committees um so that so that we can uh, we can do more for for more folks. So, I'm um, proud. Clark, proud of what last, we Yeah, last last things on last year, and then I'm going to ask Eric one one question on the management system in a second. Sure. Just from a, an advocacy perspective, um, I am I'm optimistic after after last year. I think there are. You know, green shoots growing um, with the the work that's being done by ACB, our partners, and our members and affiliates. And I look forward to nurturing those shoots and having them grow here in 2022. Excellent. So, Eric, just before the pandemic, um, ACB introduced a, a a new management system, which has gotten some some discussion um, during ACB conventions and, and on, uh, on other programs um, during the last couple of years. But now, kind of two years in, um, do you guys continue to be satisfied with the way the new management system is working? Yes. So in April of, uh, of 2020, we um, began to implement what's known as the entrepreneurial operating system. And basically that's just business jargon for, for a, a management methodology or a structure, structure, how to, how to manage 
an organization. So it could be a, a Fortune 100 company or it could be a nonprofit. We're, um, we're pretty unique in that we've, we're implementing it and we're not just a 501c3, but we're also a membership organization. So the complexity of, of doing some of this is, is, is greater than in a, a straight up and down uh, business organization. And so why did we do it? Well, we did it because we didn't have an existing uh, structure and, and, and process for really the moving the business of the, of the organization forward. And so what, what we needed was to identify a, a, a structure to, to be able to, to have uh, some, some knowable things. So it, within EOS, there's, there's this, uh, they call it the wheel. And there's, it's a, basically it's a, it's a pie that's made up of six pieces. And it's each of those six pieces are really what makes up an organization, the vision, it's people, it's data, it's process, um, it's issues and traction. And um, ultimately, if, if you can get all these things moving and you can track all of these things, uh, you know, looking at, looking at things like your core values, we have five core values and we, we, we live by them within, within our, uh, within the organization as a, as a staff and as leadership, um, that, that goes to, uh, in large part who we hire and why we hire them, uh, honesty and integrity, respect. Those are, those are two initiative collaboration and, and, uh, flexibility. Those are the five. And, uh, the board adopted those in 2019 before we even entered into EOS. Uh, but you know, we had to have a, a grounding point, a, a place to start from, where there were there are guardrails, we have um, you know we're, we're tracking data today better than we ever have before. We still need to do a lot better at that. It used to just be the financial data and some social media stuff, and now we're able to dig a bit deeper into into some membership data. Um, we're able to, and we were always able to to track membership data, but there are still some challenges with membership. Uh, data and tracking it, given how we how we do membership within the organization from a constitutional standpoint. So, right. um, you know, there there are a number of things now that we're able to track dealing with um, how many folks are are visiting our website, how many folks are visiting ACB Media One right now and listening. Rick can tell you how many people are listening right now on ACB Media One which is very, it's very cool uh, that he can do that now. Uh, but really, you know, these are, these are things that have been around for a little while that, that we have gotten around to doing. Um, understanding the impact that we have, right? So data can help not necessarily dictate our decisions, but play a, a role in, in helping us make decisions. 
better informed decisions. And so, you know, you take that, you take the issues, the issues that we have, the issues that the organization has, uh, you know, that the membership has, working through them. Um, one of the byproducts of that is introducing the L10 meeting format. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever participated in an L10 meeting, Paul? I have not. Okay. I have not, but um, I've but I've but I've heard lots of reports of them, and and they they seem to make a lot of logical sense. In fact, yeah, and so you know, it started with the leadership team of the organization um, getting acquainted with the L10 structure. It's a it is a ninety minute meeting. We have a leadership team meeting every Thursday from three to four thirty. Clark knows, <laughs> um, and. and and, and, you know, we get together and we, um, we meet and it's a very structured process with the eye to, 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 to hold one another accountable for the things we said that we would do from the previous week. Uh, and then to identify, discuss, and, and ultimately solve or hopefully solve the issues um, that we elect to bring to the meeting. And then if we're unable to solve them, then there's another, you know, uh, to do that happens where we have to have another meeting, uh, some subset of us or committee leaders. Um, but what it, what it does is it keeps us out of this vicious, uh, circle, circle, of conversation that we found we were having inside the organization down through the years right. where a committee would meet. Uh, in May, uh, put together some action items and then get together the next month and no one had done anything and they talked for an hour and have a really good discussion, come up with some things, meet the next month and no one had done them. This, this structure essentially in a, in a, in a professional way, it sort of calls each other out for, yeah doing it and if we haven't why haven't right and and sometimes there are very good reasons why you can't right and and it also provides a remedial structure for fixing it which is the more exciting part exactly and so we we did that and then last year we began to to introduce it to the committee chairs uh and as well to the to the affiliate uh uh presidents um as a as a means to you know, if they sought to, to use it, it, you know, and, and they have, um, we've been hearing stories about it. So it's good. Yeah. Excellent. Mr. Clark, 2022, what's, what's in store for us? Well, first will be the virtual leadership conference coming up in the second weekend of March. So as, Eric touched on, we will be communicating, I guess registration is now open um, for folks who would like to attend virtually, and we'll be communicating the agenda as well as legislative imperatives here in the the next few weeks. Um, I don't think there'll be any any sort of surprises, Paul. I mean, from what we've Mm -hmm. talked about here this evening, you know, there's probably a you know, a greater than zero shot of guessing what some of our <laughs> will deal with. Um, I think there may be. <laughs> yeah, accessibility to the healthcare space. Uh, 
you know, accessible access to information and communication. So um, it's, it's issues that are front of mind for our members and our organization, um, but also issue areas where we've been able to forge partnerships and collaborate with, with industry, with government, with uh, you know, the broader blindness community and the cross-disability community. Um, so that that is front of mind here in the the first quarter for us in advocacy and governmental affairs. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, um, in twenty twenty two, Mister Eric, do you want to talk a little about the the state of our convention? Sure. So the state of our convention is Nebraska. <laughs> um, <laughs> By God, uh, yes. So uh, July, July one through eight in Omaha, we will be uh, holding a our first ever hybrid convention. So, uh, you know, we're we're deep into uh, the details of what all of that is going to look like. Uh, there'll be obviously more shared on that mm-hmm. in the in the coming weeks and months. But, you know, what we've learned over the last couple of years, Paul, with the virtual conventions is that we've been able to experience, you know, a lot of growth in, in uh, the amount of participation uh, by sure. folks that don't have to leave their home. And so, right. um, and, uh, you know, I, I think this is an important um piece of learning for us that that will not likely go away even after right. after this year so right um but my my hope and and the expectation that we have right now is that it will be hybrid and i i want to be around uh i want to be around our, our folks again. <laughs> I miss uh, I miss being in person and grabbing a beer with Paul Edwards, for example. That's right. Me, me too. So. And, and and it is my expectation that that I will be one of the high rather than one of the brids. So Paul's, Paul's going to be buy, buying us all steaks in Omaha. By the way, that oh there yeah, right. uh huh. Yeah, but but uh, oh, but they'll probably be Holly steaks. <laughs> So, yeah, the, the, the uh, Rick Pelican Morin, by the way, has been yeah. uh, and is very much involved in the hybrid component right. of uh, the old Omaha what convention. Was, yeah, what I was going to say though is is one of the things that that we've had to face with the hybrid convention is a pretty substantial increase in the cost of the convention. I don't know that that our members really. Are are as as much aware of that as 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 they perhaps should be, um, but in in order to to run as much media as we're going to have to, um, it's going to cost ACB a pretty fair chunk of change. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And you know the board uh, through the through the budgeting process allotted for a certain amount. It it that may that may cover it. It may not we'll have to see um you know we're we're going through um the rfp process which i was making light of rick earlier but in all seriousness he's been a huge help in putting together an rfp to work with uh the vendors to to have us be able to get a a better feel for what the the real cost of this is is going to look like so and that's something that we don't 
have necessarily um, nailed nailed down, but we are right. Um, we're we're negotiating actively. Right. Yeah, excellent. So, are there any new initiatives that either of you would like to talk about that we already know that about that are going to happen in 2022? And then after that, folks out in in uh, in media land, we're, we're going to open it up and see if folks have comments or questions pretty soon. But any, any new initiatives for 2022 that you'd like to talk about, Mr. Clark? You know, I think we'll have a couple new legislative imperatives, but again, they won't be new to, to ACB. Um, and then in terms of, of new initiatives, I think, Kind of like our legislative imperatives, there are there are ongoing areas of focus that we hope to build upon in 2022. Whether that's the Get Up and Get Moving campaign, the AD Awards Gala, gala um, mm-hmm. as well as several several things that just won't go away. So we still have pending litigation with. Um, you know, several cities regarding accessible pedestrian signals, several uh, health diagnostic uh, and laboratory providers regarding inaccessibility of their check-in services, um, commonly known as kiosks. Mm-hmm. So these these things are are still on the front burner that we are working through while uh, trying to improve our processes and build upon the successes of last year. Excellent. Any, anything you'd like to add in terms of new initiatives, Mr. Eric? Well, um, we, we're going to be hiring uh, two more uh, uh, employees to the organization uh, this year. So uh, many folks have seen the posting for the ACB media manager and IT manager. Um, and we're, actively re- recruiting and going through the interview process for that. Uh, and then uh, here in a couple weeks, you'll see a, uh, a posting for a, a general manager of our thrift stores. So an individual that will report to Nancy Becker, who's our CFO, who will actually oversee a lot of the day-to-day uh, happenings within our, our two thrift stores in, in Lubbock and Amarillo, Texas. So, um, so those are the two. And then the, the other uh, contract position that I know folks have seen is the, the ACB media coordinator, which we're, uh, you know, uh, beginning the interviews for now as well. So, so there's a lot going on. How does it feel, Eric, to, to be supervising the largest staff in ACB history. It's, it's challenging. I it's really it challenging. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, these, um, the, the roles that, that, that we're hiring for, the positions that we're creating, um, in a lot of ways, EOS has helped us figure out what really matters. Right. Um, the, the board, you know, the, the board made it, has made it clear over the last few years that they want, uh, the you know a staff that can be professional to to help uh, work alongside the members to to be able to to accomplish uh, 
more things. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like we've, we've done a good job of, of hiring the right people, uh, even before doing that, figuring out where the needs really are um, to, in, in order to professionalize the organization, bring in the right people that have the right uh, skills, but also fit. Uh, fit within the culture that we're developing and also have a, uh, you know, a, a good way about them <clears throat> because some of them we've hired uh, from within the blind community and others um, aren't blind and they're from outside the community. And, and I think, frankly, um, that's been beneficial to us as well, um, having an outside perspective, but somebody that, that possesses the right uh, you know, the, the right personality, the right attitude, uh, takes the initiative, all of that, um, you know, has been, has been a benefit, uh, to, to ACB as well. Excellent. Mr. Rick, do we have any hands? We do not at the moment, Paul, but Hey folks, if you would like to uh, join in the conversation, ask questions, alt Y on your PC to raise your hand, uh, star nine, uh, on the telephone, and uh, if you're on one of the apps, there should be a raise hand button in, in the middle of your screen. So go ahead and uh, punch up on that. Melanie Very Brunson. Melanie Brunson's got a question here. Hey, Melanie. Uh, a, a, a former Eric. Miss Melanie, hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello. Am I unmuted now? Yes, yes, you are. Excellent. I didn't want to ask the usual question. Can you hear me? <laughs> Um, so what I'd like to ask, um, either or both of you, I suppose, probably Clark, um, for a start is if you could talk about, um, the resolutions, um, and, and how those are figuring into the advocacy effort. And of course, I'm specifically thinking about one of them, um, Related to to guide dog uh, travel issues, um, but as, but as a general rule, um, how much how much of the, for instance, the legislative imperatives is going to be influenced in any way by the uh, some of the resolutions that were passed this last year, this last summer. Sure, thank you, Melanie, uh, and good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's great to hear from you. Yeah, it's in, good to hear from you guys on there. I would say the the resolutions passed by our members and the, the ECB board this past year definitely play a role in informing the, the advocacy work um, of ACB. And I, I imagine that no, I, I don't want to commit to that. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but in general, we have, we're looking at four um, legislative imperatives this year. Last year, we had three. That uh, seems to be the typical amount for, for the organization to take right. on as, as legislative imperatives. Um, that doesn't mean that's our only priorities, but this year we we had introduced uh, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, 35, 36. I, that's correct. Ish. Resolutions. Yeah. So I, I cannot sit here and tell you that all resolutions become legislative imperatives. Right. right. But I think we can look at the broad strokes. Like we mentioned earlier that four 
resolutions dealt with healthcare-related issues. So what are the common themes that we're seeing here and how can we work to address them? Not only address them as legislative imperatives, but address them with our regulatory efforts and education um, to give our affiliates and members the tools that they need to work towards fulfilling those resolutions on the state and local level. Uh, Similar with uh, information and technology access. Many of the resolutions dealt with, with that kind of bucket of issues. Um, so certainly an area of focus as well. And then specific to uh, guide dogs, service animals, airlines, um, there, there will not be a specific legislative imperative related to that issue. Um, however, that is an area that we hope to have the, um, you know, the Office of Civil Rights and Aviation from the Department of Transportation present. They've attended uh-huh. the okay, okay. legislative seminar for several years now. They're able to answer questions from our members and provide direct feedback. ACB, we have a direct line of communication to them. Two ACB members serve on the Air Carrier Access Act Advisory Committee as well. Uh, Last year, at our first ever virtual legislative seminar, there was a a great panel hosted by Sheila Styron with the accessibility leads for four major airlines from from, from four distinct parts of the country as well. Um, so that's one of the, the benefits we have in this virtual environment. And then just on a personal note, when I flew to and from the Consumer Electronics Show the first week of January on American Airlines, uh, in the process of confirming my flight, there was the option to add service animal documentation and paperwork right through the uh, confirmation, the, the you know, the regular standard confirmation process. So I'd say our our advocacy work uh, is bearing fruit in this regard. That's excellent. Thank you, Ms. Melanie. We appreciate it. You know, we, we sometimes wonder if resolutions actually do any good. And, and I, I, I'm sure that, that both of you guys know about this, but in 2020, we passed a resolution asking NLS to produce a Braille edition of the Reader's Digest. And um, that was because the American printing house that had been producing it had decided to no longer do it. And so uh, the advocacy staff worked with um, the Braille Revival League and, and uh, we prepared a letter which was sent on ACB's behalf to NLS. And um, within two months, we essentially heard that NLS was going to produce a Braille version of the Reader's Digest and that's now been going on for a year and a half. So if you guys didn't know it, you do now. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> Pam, coffee, um, please. Yes. Hello. What a wonderful presentation tonight. Um, I'm sort of going back to um, something that was said earlier about places where we are, or situations where we are at more of a disadvantage because of the pandemic. Well, I can tell you what's getting really bad now 
is if you go to a restaurant, except for just a very few, a lot of the restaurants have either reduced or dispensed with their wait staff. So you go in to a restaurant where they used to, you know, escort you to a table and then they would come and take your order and they would bring it to you. Well, now you go through a line, you go up to a counter, you give your order there. If you're lucky, you might find someone that could help you find a table. Uh, And then when you need a refill on your iced tea or your coffee or your whatever, good luck. Uh, you're, You're really on your own. And it's it's just getting to be uh, really hard. And what we have no way of knowing is whether they will go back after things get better and bring back their wait staff, or if they're going to love it, not having to pay so many uh, employees. And it, we're still going to be at a disadvantage getting um, going to restaurants. I think that's and, a really good point, Pam. Let's let's let Eric or or Clark yes. comment. It, it it's it is. It's a problem. <laughs> it <laughs> one of the challenges though is this is and and I don't mean this to diminish it, but it's a problem for everyone. Um oh, yeah. I, you know, we're down here in Florida and we haven't been feeling well. My dad's been going and picking up food for us and uh you know, just finding somebody to to order from uh, at a at a restaurant for carryout is is difficult. Um, oh yeah, there, there's not the, the the reliability of the sort of either the the in dining or dining in experience, or even just being able to walk up and order carryout um, is is dicey these days for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm almost well, um, at the point now where I think for to heck with even going to a restaurant, I'll just order food on, on Grubhub or, or DoorDash eat it at home. Right. And that's that's one of the things I was gonna say, Pam, that that mm-hmm. um at the same time as there is this 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 horrible shortage of wait staff, there's a huge increase in mm-hmm. the availability of online ordering systems for food. I mean there are at least five. Mm-hmm. That oh, are, yeah. and, and, and they're all pretty accessible, I think. Yes, um, they are. I yep. use four of them. Yep. So, <laughs> Clark, any thoughts about, about the restaurant situation? And I, I love the perspective that you just provided, Paul. You know, like a, a door starts to close and a window right. opens, right? It's, it's more right. difficult for everyone due to, the, uh, due to the pandemic, but also, you know, in some places, reductions of staff. In other places, they can't. Can't they, get they can't hire period. someone to save, yeah. save their lives, right? Yep. But we do yep. have those uh, those virtual options that didn't exist in previous times, and we also have options of uh, Instacart and various grocery delivery services, right. Right. which did not exist previously or oh, yes. not as ubiquitous as they are now, right? So I I, I think that that's a, a really interesting point that you raised there. 
Right. There's there's also a fascinating new development. We're right with you, Pam, but there's a fascinating new development, Mm -hmm. which I've only noticed for the past few weeks, and that is that some restaurants are making how busy they are determine how much they charge if you want to get stuff delivered. Oh, boy. So the price is now variable. So I was looking a couple of days ago and found a delivery fees of $11, $12, even for Whoa. restaurants that were very close because they said, we're busy now. We, we, we don't want to take time to do this. So if you want us to do it, you're going to have to pay for it. One of the things that we've done. Um, Eric, go ahead. Over, yeah. One of the things that we've done over the last several months is really tried to see some of our favorite restaurants that deliver through the apps to see mm-hmm. if they actually you know, you pick up the phone and call them, will they deliver? Yep. And yep. yes, they will. And, and it's, it's, it's better all the way around. It um, sure is. It, it's not hurting them. They're not having to pay the fee or get charged the fee. Um, you're paying a little less. And if you pay a little less, you can tip a little more as far as I'm concerned um, for these, you know, for basically what are small businesses, right? So, sure. Um, in, in my opinion, that's that's been a nice it's been a nice way for us to to take a look at um, you know delivery. Very good point, Miss Pam. Thank you so much for your call. Thank you, mm-hmm. Jamaica, please. Yes, this is Jamaica Miller from Georgia, and I wanted to ask about the the healthcare. Um, area because I wanted to ask about when when people are dealing with people that have to come in and help them help people out. Um, is that part of healthcare to re to re revitalize that part of it as as well or not? Um, because I am really wanting. Um, I'm getting very frustrated with uh, with the with the with the with the program that we are yeah. having that we are having to use at this time. So. Just to be clear, Jamaica, you're talking about folks coming to your house to help with, with things like mail and cleaning and that kind of stuff? Um well actually I have a I have a, an actual Medicaid waiver that I yep. actually have that actually has the people come in and assist me with with meals, assist me with uh, getting ready for the day, assisting with with um, with, with basically everything. Nice, um, nice. Okay, yeah. just wanted to make sure we understood what you were asking about. Um, Clark, you want to take this one? Sure. So I, to me, uh, Jamaica, thanks for that question. That sounds like the, the home and community based services. Right. Um, yes, that, 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 that is yep. that that is correct. Yeah. So one of the resolutions that was introduced this past year, um, I believe, was drafted in, in large part by the affiliate uh, Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss was to be able to to focus home and community-based services for um, individuals with vision loss, older individuals with vision loss, to ensure that they're receiving the that individuals are receiving the training they need to be able to provide 
the services that people with vision loss need. Um, so yes, that is an area of focus. Um, several ACB members and AAVL members had a meeting with the uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to discuss this issue. Um, and it's also an area that we're uh, that we have found uh, good partnerships over the past year or two years with the um, the National Coalition on Aging and Vision Loss in this space as well. And that that Eric has led to, uh, or or kind of leads us to another development, which which is which is I guess some um, <clears throat> fairly regular. Um, leadership calls and on and an aging initiative that ACB is a part of. Do you want to talk for a minute about those? Oops, did we lose Eric? Or have I just made him speechless? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, there I am. <laughs> Very good. Um, and actually, uh, Clark, would you like to talk a little bit about that? Because you're Aren't you involved yeah. with some of that? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, sorry. Paul, this, this is an area that um, the ACB, uh, several of our board members, again, along with um, AAVL as kind of the, the resident experts in this space mm -hmm. for the organization, are working with our, uh, you know, blindness advocacy organization partners as part of the National Coalition on Aging and Vision Loss. Um, so one of the, the big initiatives right now is the understanding that we don't have enough data in this space to be able to be in uh, informing research and policymakers. So one of the big initiatives right now is to be able to collect and understand the, the aging population um, and the, the role that vision loss plays in aging um, so that we can inform policy going forward. You know, Mark Reichert drilled it into me from a, a very early time when I joined uh, ACB, even before I joined ACB, that there is by no means enough funding and services provided to older Americans with vision loss. Um, so this is another avenue for us to work to address that shortfall. Cool. Thank you very much, Rick. Do we have other hands? Yeah, we've got Terry Pacheco. Miss Terry. Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm wondering, I know you've said now that we're going to be using some of the same imperatives that we've used in for the last, at least the last couple of years. Can you give us a brief summary? Perhaps I missed it a brief summary of what you have done or what ACB has done to move those forward and what's different about them today than three years ago or two years ago. Um, I'm just curious. I'm especially interested in the Medicare project on uh, equipment for uh, low vision. Thanks. Sure. And thank you, Terry. So that, the Medicare Demonstration of Coverage for Low Vision Devices Act has... Boom, you got it. Yep. <laughs> First try. Um, that's been a bill that ACB has been advocating for since, since 2013. Um, yes. I'd say this, this past year, with the, the focus on 
economic stimulus and the administration's focused on the Build Back Better Act, um, which at, at one point of time was valued, you know, north of two and a half, three trillion dollars with a T. Um, in our work with the you know, the broader blindness community and the cross disability community, um, a five year, twelve and a half million dollar uh, demonstration project wasn't wasn't ambitious enough. You know that that demonstration is no one's ultimate goal, right? It's to right. it's to prove the value of providing low vision devices uh, to one day have Medicare coverage. Well, there was a a a large contingent of organizations and members of Congress and people in the administration who who wanted Medicare coverage. So this goes into the the kind of uh, Bernie Sanders Medicare for all, but in addition to doing Medicare for all, do Medicare hearing, vision, and dental benefits as well. So we were actively supporting uh, legislation, and we issued a, an action alert to our members over the summer to support inclusion of the Medicare Vision Act in the budget reconciliation package, also known as the, the Build Back better act. Um, unfortunately, uh, as the, the bill was going through the process, you know, first vision and uh, dental benefits were removed, then hearing benefits were removed, and now the bill is stalled and it's not going anywhere um, as, a, as an entire package. So we are working with Congress to reintroduce the, the bipartisan uh, demonstration act as a placeholder to show that, you know, that we would have loved for there to be full Medicare vision coverage that included uh, low vision aids and devices. But since that was unable to pass, here is a, a bipartisan option that is still on the table. In a lot of ways, that makes a lot more sense. In a lot yeah. of ways, that makes a lot of sense because, as is very often the case with the government, if you start a demonstration project like that, that's a foot right in the door to get it in, it, get it much better funded. It's something that never happened with the older blind one, um, with the older blind bill. But it's um, it's a very very viable possibility um, that's working in in other federal agencies all over the place. So hopefully that'll finally get done. But I thank you very much. Terry, thank you. Mr. Rick? Yeah, phone number ending in 597, please. If you want to unmute yourself, there we go. Yeah, this is Calandra. Hi. Um, I have uh, had, was on the call of more than an hour ago, but I dropped back in after I completed another one. Um, I'm interested in a lot of physical uh, fitness because I, I daily do exercises. If I don't do them in the day, I do them at night, too. And um, I was wondering, um, are there different um, exercise techniques other than uh, the regular ones? I know that I do uh, push-ups, sit-ups, and stuff like that. I did a lot of stretching and breathing exercises, and then uh, at my 
bike after I wore that. Um, is there a um another um like for apps? Where can you get fitness books and stuff like that other than on Bard? Clark, that sounds like a question for you, sir. Sure. So. Uh, full disclaimer, I am not a fitness professional. I, w- I will not provide personal uh, fitness advice or recommendations. I, I think being able to find fitness books on, uh, you said, other than Bard. So it, I know folks uh, for folks that use Bookshare, um, I think it would be worthwhile looking there as well. Um, in terms of are, are there some on Bard? Because I think she was actually asking about Bard too. I know there's oh. a Braille book from Curves. Okay. Um, I have not I, looked on Bard, but that would be the first place I would look. Yeah, there is a Braille book from Curves that I know about. Um, it's it's a little old now. It's probably six or eight years old, but I, I think the techniques are still the same. But I guess the the, the more, more important question is, uh, are there any initiatives that you know about and, and there's no reason why you necessarily should, for, for instance, on our community call system. Where, exactly right, Paul. Yeah. yeah. The community calls, um, the, the last statistic I heard is that there's, uh, you know, roughly 14% of the community calls are health and wellness focused, whether that's support groups, uh, mental health, substance abuse, but also uh, Leslie Spoon, for example, sure. does uh, fitness courses multiple times a week, and there are other right. individuals who provide. I believe Angel um, Eyes as well. Yeah, um, so, Saturdays. Yeah. Right, so, and, and 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 I think Leslie is also doing some yoga now, as well as the other fitness stuff. Yes, and for some folks, it. I believe Leslie started with a chair yoga course, and for mm-hmm. some folks, that's progressed to yoga on the mat or yoga while standing. So there's a good variety of events within the ACB community, and I encourage everyone to, um, you know, if you're not subscribed, to send an email to community at acb.org to get added to the, um, you know, the weekly and daily schedule lists for the ACB community events and give it a look and hopefully there's something that meets your needs. And if you have some particular questions about stuff that you'd like to see there, by all means, raise that with the folks at ACB community and, and they're very good listeners. Um, and, and they're very good listeners on both sides of the fence as a provider. You know, they have, uh, they have bent over, uh, bent over backwards to make my life as easy as they can. Um, and, and so I appreciate them. Mr. Rick. Yeah. Debbie Deathridge, please. Hey, from Kentucky. Hi, Debbie. Hey, um, was wondering, I guess, Clark, this is probably a question for you. And I think I've asked this before, but what can we do about spectrum and not having audio, uh, description like for the parade, uh, the, the, uh, they had it for the Macy's Day Parade, but my, um, I guess it was probably just in my area because I've heard mixed things on this, but for the um, parade on New Year's Day, we could not get audio description, and I had the 
you know, SAP on or whatever that is. So mm-hmm. what can we do to work with Spectrum to make sure it's available everywhere and not just in certain areas? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And that is a, a frustration that uh, many of us have, right? Um, not only knowing what, when, or where something's available, but then if there is an issue, who do we contact? Is it our, our local broadcaster, our cable or satellite provider? You know, where's the, the weak link in the chain? Right. So in terms yeah, of... Yeah, because if you call here, they're like, well, what's audio description? We have closed captioning. Well, that's totally mm-hmm. something totally different. They have no <laughs> clue what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I know this is, this is certainly something ECB is aware of. It's certainly something that the audio description project is aware of as well. Um, and as, as much as possible, I think it's, it's always important for our members to, to share those kinds of experiences directly with the, the FCC disability rights office, as right. well as um, for those live events that you were mentioning uh, the audio description project and immediate past president Kim Charlson is always looking to collect that data to be able to share it. So, for example, with the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, Comcast, NBC, they certainly wanted to know what people thought of it, where it was available, where it wasn't, um, and they they certainly worked with other you know, other uh, cable companies. To, to let them know that whether it's a, a live parade or the Olympic and Paralympic Games with audio description, that it was going to be available to help pass it through. So as much as you can share that information with the audio description project or by emailing advocacy at acb.org, we'll, we'll continue to work to pass that along until one day, knock on wood, it can be a, a requirement for all local broadcasters to have a designated public point of contact and that it's required that all of them pass through audio description as well. Right. So Clark, you you and I had, we live what about three miles away from one another. Yeah. And we both are both Comcast subscribers. And for the Paralympics last summer, they uh, made audio description available through NBC Sports Network for the first time. And um, I went there first morning wanting to turn it on. Turned it on. Nothing. I text Clark, hey, are you watching? He says, yes. Do you have audio description? He replies back, yes. And I'm going, oh, crap. For the next like three or four days, we worked with Comcast to try and figure out why my my house could not get the description passed through. Meanwhile, two and a half, three miles away, a Comcast subscriber um, that I work with had it no problem. You know, it's like yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's not easy, Debbie. The no. other thing that I would tell you is that Florida. Um, has worked directly with Spectrum and they have come to two or three of our conventions and in fact have been sponsors for us. And 
Um, and I think if, if you encourage them to come and talk to you about what they're doing, you create the contacts that are going to enable you to get them to act as your advocates with, um, with local um, television channels. All right. Mr. Rick. Yeah, Lori Scharf, please. Hi. So from, I just from Virginia. Hello. Hello. Um, I just would like to follow up sort of on what Terry was talking about. And um, you know, just wondering if ACB has taken a real good look at the um previous Medicare demonstration projects that were done. Um and also if ACB ever thought about partnering with a local affiliate and encouraging a state to introduce a Medicaid waiver um, to cover low vision devices through Medicaid. Mark, is that is that a Clark question? Uh, Lori, are you volunteering for Virginia? Uh, um. <laughs> by the way that I, is a weird virginia accent Lori. i'm just gonna say it's a very weird virginia um, accent. i i would have to say i don't see it going anywhere here in virginia um however you know new york you probably would have much better luck introducing something like that based on how many waivers they currently have or in california where they have many more Medicaid waivers. Um, Don't recommend Florida. No, no, yeah. probably not. Probably and not. Is, um, you know, that was a little, a little bit in jest, but, but I, I, I agree with you that the, there, is, there is a lot that the, the states can do, and that even came out during our conversation with um, Medicare and Medicaid services mm-hmm. regarding, um, you know, older individuals who are blind and home and community-based services that right. the states have a lot of flexibility in in this regard. Um, so I think that's a, a great idea and something that I'll take back to um, you know, Doug Powell and Jeff Tom and yeah. AVL to see if that's uh, an initiative that they would like to help take on. It's, I mean, it's something that I took a while working in my vision rehabilitation uh, therapy degree, I had a class in aging with Alberta Orr, and um, I drove her absolutely crazy discussing Medicare and Medicaid and, you know, talking about how rehab really needs to partner with Medicare and, um, you know, how that would benefit seniors. Um, I know in New York... Right now, there is a very slight increase for older blind funding, but prior to that, they hadn't had an increase in 15 years, which we could thank good old Patterson for, but that's probably one of the better things he did for blind people in New York. (laughs) And and, and that's typical of other states as well, Laurie, so you're quite right. Yes, yeah. But I certainly, um, Clark, not necessarily Virginia, just because I don't see it going anywhere based on how their waivers are structured. But um, I would certainly work on something like that. 
Okay, thank you for that. And Paul, talking about successes in 2021, mm-hmm. uh, the accessible pedestrian signal ruling out of the state of New York, uh, which Lori was an instigator for, uh, what, in 20, 2017 or 2018? Um, well, the groundwork we laid back in 2010. In Long Island, right? Uh, no, that was New York City. Oh, okay. And um, the case, actually, we did not file until 2018. Um, so, yeah, that was a pretty exciting ruling. And um, I will be discussing it um, in great detail with Pat Sheehan and Tori Adkinson. Uh, who was the lawyer who handled the case on Sunday edition. We're going to do a history on accessible pedestrian signals and discussion of intersection design and all those fun things and then move into the specifics specifics of the case. Nice. Nice. Everybody should tune in to Sunday edition from 1 to 3 on ACB Media 1. Mr. Eric. Do you have a minute or so to sum up anything you'd like folks to know about the state of ACB? Well, there is a lot that is going on. And it's, uh, these are, these are some, some, I would say the the times are, are changing uh, quickly. If you look back a couple of years ago at the, the technologies that we were using as an organization, um, and you, you look at today, and you look at um, you know the the amount of work that uh, the staff is doing in conjunction with our steering committees. We now have nine steering committees that sort of are over our our programs and uh, within the organization. There's a lot that has changed, um, but there's a lot that's still the same. And, uh, you know, it really, it takes, uh, in order for us to, to do the work that we do as, as staff, it takes the membership, um, number one, to, uh, to bring forth the issues that are, are ongoing and out there in the States um, to, to our attention so that we can work with you on them. Um, it also, you know, from time to time, it takes you all to, to continue to hold us accountable for the work that, that we do, or sometimes that, that we may not do. And so, you know, um, you know, we're not perfect, Paul. Um, and, and we make mistakes, but we do it, uh, hopefully always with the right intent. And so, you know, we're, we're growing, uh, we are, 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 you know, introducing more new folks, um, some of whom may have a, a background in ACB, some of whom may not. Um, you know, I think uh, as you begin to encounter these folks, um, you know, just understand that, that they're all on a, on a different plane in terms of uh, this experience. One of, the, one of the challenges that we face is that we've not all been able to be together. Literally, I've not been right. in the same room with all my people um, yet. So It'll you know, be fun if that happens. Yeah, irrespective of having folks all together at a convention or the leadership conference to be able to really understand what the, the enormity that is ACB 
right? The, the importance, um, being around other people, networking, being able to share a meal or a beverage or hang out and learn. So there's a lot of really cool stuff happening and, um, I'm excited for, for the year ahead. Thanks, Clark. I was hoping to give you a minute, but Eric took yours. <laughs> so um, I'd he like put to put a nice bow both. on it. He did. I'd like to thank both of you for being a part of Tuesday Topics tonight. And I'd like to thank everybody who joined us and had such good questions. Next week, Tuesday Topics is going to be looking at Braille. And what are the pros and cons? What are the good things that are happening? What are the bad things that are happening? What should ACB be doing to make it better? Hope lots of you will tune in and participate as we explore the six dots that make such a difference. Good night.